We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartaches and triumphs and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week, we are book clubbing the memoir of Rosie Perez, published in 2014, titled... It's a very long title. A Handbook for an Unpredictable Life, How I Survived Sister Renata and My Crazy Mother and Still Came Out Smiling with Great Hair. This book will take you on a ride. Oh my God. It has nuns. It has hot goss, really hot goss. And it ultimately is a handbook for how to overcome anything that's thrown in your way because every single obstacle that could be thrown in someone's life is thrown into Rosie's and she overcomes it. What had happened was is that we would go to this club called Florentine Gardens and there was a soul trained talent scout and he saw me dancing and he said, would you like to be on Soul Train? I was like, are you kidding me? Yes. And I said, well, can my girlfriends come with me? And he says, well, I need to see them. And we all look like well put together hookers, basically. That was our style. That's a good look. Yeah, right? If you Isn't can it cute? It's a really good look. Yeah, I know, right? And so he goes, oh, yes, they could come. And so we were dancing on Soul Train and we didn't take it seriously. We thought it was a gas. So that didn't get paid for your, it helped you with college, did it? They didn't pay us. We didn't get paid. Our payment was a two-piece Kentucky Fried Chicken lunchbox. Shut up. Seriously. <laughs> that was Rosie Perez 
talking about her first big break on Soul Train. And I love that clip so much for many reasons, but one of them is just because she's so funny and she has such a good sense of humor. And even though the book is going to get very dark, it's all told through that sense of humor. So I wanted you to have her voice in your head as we go through these events, like know that she's telling it with um, a lot of light and there's a lot of laughs throughout the book. And now, you know Rosie Perez from so many things. The movie White Men Can't Jump, from The View, from the movie Do the Right Thing. Again, she was a dancer on Soul Train. She choreographed the Fly Girls for the show In Living Color. More recently, she was in Search Party and, oh my God, The Flight Attendant. That was a hot, hot quarantine watch. And we're going to dive into all of it. This book is such a ride. I loved it so much. We're going to get into it with my guest, Erin Dewey Lennox. Hi, Erin. Ooh, hello. Oh my God, I'm like tingling with excitement. <laughs> I mean, this book, this book is a fucking ride. Okay, Erin, I'm gonna give your bio. Erin is a hilarious stand-up comedian and writer. She has written for so many things. The Academy Awards, the show Game On, the NFL Honors. She just wrote for the ESPYs, uh, the, the MTV's Ridiculousness and Amazingness. I love saying those together, like two little <laughs> twin shows and so much more. Erin, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I am delighted to put it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to get into all of it. Okay, so I normally introduce my guests with the story of how we first met. Do you remember how we first met? Because because I do, if you don't. You know I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the, I, I remember when we first met because I couldn't believe it was only the first time we were meeting. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. And we did become, we became friends like where you're like, this was too fast. Like it feels like we've been friends for way longer than we have. Exactly. Yes. And like in the moment of meeting you, I had to be like, okay, don't hug her. Like it's not your old friend. <laughs> <laughs> Except it was. We're old souls. <laughs> I remember you had on more gold chains than Yasser wears. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this girl is cool. <laughs> and you guys sent me when I had a baby, you sent me a gold chain. And you're for that the, baby. Honestly, the only ones. And it's like the most personal gift. <laughs> Where is it? I, I, all credit does go to Yasser, obviously. But um, we, so, okay, so we were backstage um, of a stand-up show and we, a couple's therapy. Couple's therapy. Yeah. Yes, couple's, yeah, therapy, couples therapy, which is a very incredible podcast. If you don't listen to the podcast, couple's therapy, super funny. It's also a stand-up show. And yeah, you and your husband were on it and me and Yasser were on it and we met backstage and we were just like, oh my God, hi. And we've just been friends ever since. Yes, we're next to like the Beats Academy or whatever that <laughs> room is up there where they're like making... Oh. <laughs> we're like on a beats. couch. That's right. Yeah, we were on beats. like an old dirty couch just talking. <laughs> okay. So when I sent that email out, I had a, a list of memoirs on it. You chose Rosie Perez. What made you choose this book? I have always been obsessed with her. Her, uh, I wanted to be a fly girl. Um, and yes. I, I feel like, I feel like that's like when the only style of dancing that I know, and I stopped learning dancing after that, I can only Wait, do for anyone who doesn't know what a fly girl is. Will you tell? We tell the people what the, what, fly, what the fly girls oh, girl. Oh, in case we course. have any I'm, young listeners, like some right. I forgot Gen Z exists. So fly girls were the dance group on In Living Color, um, which was like the sketch. You know the sketch show with the weigh-ins. It was so sick, and also as like 
someone living in North Carolina, just like, I was like, this is what I want to be. I want yeah. to just also, get like, out. It, to really picture it, like picture if SNL had a group of hot ass women dancing in between their sketches. Like that's <laughs> what In Living Color was like, yeah. <laughs> They were they were also just like so strong. It's like Rosalind's yes. style of dancing is like a, a whole personality. Like her, you have to oh. be a bad bitch to be able to dance like that. Her videos of her dancing, I'm gonna put them on my Instagram at Chelsea Devontes when this episode drops. They are unreal. Like you will find yourself convulsing by watching her. It's like she's like her face is like it's like she's eating you. Her she's angry dancing. face. Yeah, I I still do the the that face. As when I'm dancing, and it's very embarrassing now because it's just like at weddings. Oh wow, I need to see that. <laughs> I need to see that because yeah, her face—it's like she's a monster, but but it's so sexy. But she's like angry. It is okay. We're gonna get into all of it. Okay, so you were always a white, fan. You want to be a fly girl. And white men can't jump. I was like, this is the this is what sexy is. This is the sexiest person on on all of earth. <laughs> I yes. still think that. I still think that that's like the. Like, she was, like, peak. She's, like, strong. She's funny. She's smart. She's, like, over... She's over him. You know what I mean? Like, oh, all yeah. of it is, like... It is just... there's it, it was It's, like, sort of early feminist to me. <laughs> yeah, and that's all that matters. <laughs> right? It's, like, my first peak into feminism was, like, dancing like you're punching someone and being hot shit and white. But that's all we had in the 90s. All we had in the 90s was, like... This time he's gonna kiss a brunette girl. And we were like, whoa, that's cool. <laughs> it was cool. Like, we had nothing that, like, Sandra Bullock, like, kind of being clumsy. We were like, what a badass. Like, that was it. And then somehow Rosie Perez had a career for herself in these movies when they wanted white women. And she, she got these roles and she, I mean, looking back on it, it is crazy that she has some of the, that she got some of the roles she had in that era. It's unbelievable. It's so impressive and so cool. And it makes me feel like, oh, we were right to be obsessed with her. Because yes. how did she pull it off? And then you just hear her life story and you're like, how did you pull it off? How did you pull it off? Yeah, and I love how she says a handbook. Because you're like, yes, this really is, we did need a step-by-step guide. Okay, so there is so much stuff we have to get into because this book is chock full. So I want to start by reading uh, something from the preface. First of all, the opening quote is, the artist is born in the suffering child. That hit. I was like, oh, I'm in. Oh, no, I'm in. Okay. This This is a couple paragraphs taken throughout the first few pages. I didn't really want to write about this story of mine, yet I felt like I was supposed to write it, like it was a responsibility that I couldn't avoid. It's so hard to go there, you know? And I was always concerned that if and when I did tell my story, I would have to constantly defend my recollection of my truth. Unfortunately, I have family relations and folks who, in quotes, knew me when, who solely out of motives of fame, greed, or both, have jumped out of the woodwork to contest my truth and would do it again, which would only waste time and miss the point. And more important, I was concerned that people would pity me. I don't want anyone's pity. And then later she said, the abuse and neglect from my mother and the time I was forced to spend in St. Joseph's Catholic Home for Children, AKA the home, have affected a big part of my life. And I've hated that fact. I'm a forward moving and positive thinking person. And it was hard to have that albatross hanging around my neck. 
I've hated my past so much that I've spent countless hours downplaying or even hiding bits of the truth of my childhood in an attempt to make it seem less severe, less hurtful, less shameful than it felt. Okay, so I was immediately like, whoa, it's my favorite book in the world. Um, Wow. And also, like, right away, you're like, oh, this person has done a lot of work on herself. Right? Yes. Well, it's interesting you see that because I kind of— the feeling I got from this book is that, yeah, she, she first of all, she's been through so much that to be at this place, you're right. She has done a ton, a ton of work, but I felt like she was at the place where she could share it, but was sometimes um, not outside of it because mm. to, to spoiler alert, she ends the book like, 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 like the book is dedicated to her mom in part. And when you read what's happened, it's like that woman shouldn't be in this book. And even at the very end, when she's through it all, she's like still doing like all this nice shit to get her family to try and be nice to her. And you're like, no, Rosie, like, didn't you just read all these chapters? Like, but you know, the, the need to like be loved by your family, you know, never goes away or is hard to make it go away. And and it was like, you could tell that she's still entangled a bit. Yeah. Right. I mean, I couldn't, but yes, she's done a lot of work. I don't want to downplay it, but I, I was, I was like, oh, you would think someone like this wouldn't be in contact with them anymore. Right. Right. And maybe if she was more like her mother's family, she wouldn't be. She would have exactly, exactly. Like they're all okay being like "fuck off, Rosie, we hate you" and like stabbing her to death, and she's like still trying to like give them money and repair her relationships with them, which is like, which is the codependence theme on the podcast. I learned about codependence this year, and now in every book, I'm like, I think that's codependent. Um, (laughs) It's probably not. There's probably some therapist being like, "Stop, Chelsea," but. I think all therapists are just like, please talk more about therapy because everyone should be in it. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. I, my, <laughs> actually, you know what? I am um, in in one of my therapy sessions. I was like, this is so powerful. I, I remember being like, what can I do to help? Like, c- could I give money for you to see someone else like who needs it? Or like, what can I do? And she was like, just tell people about therapy. That's like the best work you can do. And to tell people about trauma therapy. And yes. I, feel like, I feel like now well, that's and, all I, I mean. Not to like toot your horn for you, but I oh my god, please! (laughs) But like, I mean, during pandemic, I was going through it, and these like like doing this podcast, doing these like book recaps and stuff. You're telling people's trauma stories and sharing that stuff is what makes people okay. (laughs) I mean, I think that's also like what she's saying in this opening is that like she feels compelled to tell this because. It's not something to keep in because then it is shameful that other people going through stuff are, you know, just your energy field is saying you should be ashamed. But when you go out in the world and you're like, yeah, my shit was fucked up too, then everyone's like, oh, it's okay. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. Also, that's such a good, like, go out in the world, say my shit is fucked up too, and everyone can relax, like, including you. Which I I totally agree. This shit is, like, life-changing. And I loved, yeah, I loved that she said I felt responsibility, but also that it's, like, an albatross hanging around her neck. And even, like, playing down your own story so that you don't have to face your own story is, like, oh, yeah. That was, like, oh, I felt that before. Right? It's, like, not everybody doesn't have to be, like, in an orphanage. <laughs> yeah. Um, and speaking right. of, let's dive in. <laughs> so. Yeah, y'all won't believe this. <laughs> y'all ain't gonna believe this. Um, so, okay. 
So a lot of what she talks about, she kind of over-explains, and it comes from this first passage where she talks about how she's had family members go to the press and say that what that her life isn't true, which by the time you've gotten to the place where you're ready to share, the worst, the worst thing that can happen to you is someone coming out and being like, it wasn't that bad or that didn't happen. Yes. And it's really dumb shit. Like Rosie told the press that her aunt raised her and her family came out and was like, that's a lie. She lived in a government home run by the nuns and we took care of her. And in reality, like both are true. Like her aunt was her main person. She also was in the home. She also sometimes saw her family. But now they've clearly plagued her so much that she is writing the book thinking like, I have to give you every single detail or my family will come out and say it's not true. And so she's constantly being like, this happened, this happened. You can't say that it didn't happen, which mm-hmm. is a devastating part of the book. Oh, it's just like also the, the, the amount of like, she's obviously got, there's just so many family members. <laughs> you can yes. also be like, Yeah, your truth is going to be different. Let's break it down for people listening. So Rosie's mom, uh, Lydia, is later found to be schizophrenic and has has a mental illness. But at the time and when Rosie's growing up, she doesn't know any of this. Her mom's name is Lydia. She is married, and then she meets Rosie's dad. They both leave their marriages. She gets pregnant with Rosie. But when she's eight months pregnant, her dad leaves Lydia and says it's because Lydia is crazy and shooting a gun at him. And given that she's later going to be found schizophrenic, um, I think that's true. And I think also Lydia would say, yeah, that is true, but you shouldn't have left me. I was eight months pregnant. Totally. (laughs) I think both things can be true. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I know I was shooting a gun at your head, but I was eight months pregnant. Um, So, okay, so Rosie then becomes like— quote, the bastard child and this sort of outcast because Lydia gets a new husband, has kids with him and constantly puts Rosie down because she wants to make the guy she she feel better. She goes back to the husband. Oh, that's right. For Rosie's dad. And also keep in mind, Lydia, her mom is like early 20s at this point and has five fucking children. (laughs) And so you imagine you're just like, you're a sexy, like young 20 year old. Like, of course you're doing dumb stuff at that time you know yeah she oh, saw yeah. hot dude and left and, and like then like it was like oh we're gonna have a new life for a second and then was like wait no this is also a nightmare and they I'm get going a fight back. I'm going back she goes back to old husband imagine also these five kids that are like okay what's going on oh goes back to old husband and then drops off Rosie that's that's right and so and then she later gets a different husband also Lydia is stunning she's like the most beautiful woman who's like ever walked the earth and but she's putting Rosie down and Rosie's this outcast of, of all these children and Rosie's dad's sister takes, uh, raises Rosie for the first few years. Basically, Lydia goes over and is like, I have to get some milk. Leaves Rosie with her and just never comes back. Which, never by the way, I know, someone who, I know someone who does stuff like that, where it's just like emotionally you can't face it. And so you're just like, I have to run out for errands and everyone understands that you're like leaving the child. Wow. So, <laughs> Rosie calls her aunt Tia, which is the Spanish word for aunt. So she's Tia in the book. And she lives with her and they have the best life together until when she is three years old, Lydia steals Rosie out of Tia's arms and Ooh. makes her a ward of the state and puts her in a Catholic home and she's raised by nuns and they won't let Tia visit her. Visit her. And then she thought Tia was her mom. 
Now she's with a new woman and that she's her mom. And then after she's in the home for a while, finds out that her other siblings are in the home too. And she didn't even know she had brothers and sisters. She had been raised with um, Tia's uh, other nieces as her sisters, has to realize they're her cousins. So that's why the family, <laughs> well, that's why it's hard to track oh. her family because it's it's hard for her to track her family. And then she makes recap, fun of her mom. Was that a, okay, okay, good. I feel like I'm laying out <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and her it's mom, so she makes fun of her mom for having more children because more she has more children and they all get put in the home. And yeah, it's 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 a little. They yeah. keep going down to meet the new kid. They keep being yeah. like a new baby, another yes. sibling, another sibling that's being put in the home, and it's like, oh my god, lady. Yeah, and the worst part is that. Rosie has Tia, and Tia wants to raise Rosie, and her mom won't let her. So that yeah. she she just like won't let her take her, and makes Rosie get raised with these nuns. It's it's, it's so crazy. And also, the the nuns are awful. They abuse the kids. They hit the kids. They won't let her speak Spanish. They try and make her more uh, white, or what they think white is. They they are, it's like a nightmare home. And then she's also, it's so vivid. And she's writing it as like her three-year-old memory. And yeah. in her memory, she's talking about like getting hit the first night she's in. And then when Tia finally shows back up, she doesn't really remember who she is. And she's mean oh. to her. And it, it, but it hit me too, where it's like, you know, when you're, cause I've, you know, I babysat a lot where like a kid is mean to you and you're like, how mm. could this kid be being mean to me right now and you forget like in a child's brain like so much is happening where they yes. want you to hold them and hug them and because you're not they hugging them they don't know them, how to ask they don't yeah and they don't know how to ask they'll then be mad or things that 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 happened I don't know you know more about kids than me but I, know, I well, found my, it really my son compelling. Is, is two and a half so I mean this was like pretty tough to read this section just imagining a kid that age being ripped away from you is unfathomable. And just, you know, he's, it's like, they're talking, they're, they're a person, but also completely understandable how after, you know, not very long is what her aunt had. A, that's the other thing that's crazy. Her aunt had a heart attack the moment her mother took her away. Which her is, mom comes <sighs> back and is like, Hey, thanks so much for watching her. I'm going to take her now. See you later. Deuces. And then her aunt literally, like, has a heart attack and almost dies because of— I mean, it's, like, literal heartbreak, which I completely understand. It is true, uh, true heartbreak. Well, and then I was thinking, too, it's like, of course a child doesn't understand. Her aunt was in the hospital because she had a heart attack, so she could not come see her. And so this poor three-year-old is like, where is my mommy, a.k.a. aunt— and it's like she's in the hospital, but no one's telling her that. No one's explaining anything to her. No. It's- yeah, and so it's, and then they, she's been told that Lydia is her mom, so she doesn't think she has a mom. Like, it's so much confusion so for a three-year-old. And Yeah, when uh, I drop my son off at daycare, he screams like he's being imprisoned. I can't even imagine the, like, the, it's like, how do you, uh, and then a, a child, would you'd have to, like, harden in such a way to even survive. Yes, it's, and ex- yes, yes, exactly. And and remembering that she is three. She's three, and three. she's writing all this, which it's like emblazoned in her memory. Okay, I want to read a part. So this is what happens when Tia comes to visit her. Tia started to sing softly, animal crackers in my soup, monkeys and rabbits, loop-de-loop. 
I looked up at her. I do remember her. I remember her. And I remember watching Shirley Temple with her. I wanted to tell her that I did, but I was so confused. She looked like my mommy, but she was calling herself Tia and telling me that she was my aunt. She continued to sing. Her soothing, out-of-tune voice danced in my head and through the early fall air. My foot started swinging back and forth, this time without tension. But in time with the rhythm of the lyrics, my fear began to subside. I looked back into the box of cookies and pulled out a lion. I quietly joined in between bites. Oh. Okay, so I was crying at this part. Were you crying? Oh. Yes, yes. And then, okay, there's so much more. So then one day when she's on a home visit, she, so she can go home on weekends and on holidays and if her family ever requests her. She finds out that her brothers and sisters go home all the time to see Lydia, but she's not invited because she is like this other Um, But sometimes she goes to see Tia, and one of those times, the man who she thinks is her uncle, and she calls him Tio, tells her that he's actually her dad. And again, she's four. (laughs) You do? Oh, I hate it so much. Okay, wait, why do you love this scene? Well, I'm just looking at it with the, like, he he just loves her, and it, it can't be suppressed. Like, I think looking back at it after reading the whole book and, like, their relationship you know, coming to fruition a little more. Like, I just see him as a very loving person who was, like, proud of her and loved her and just wanted... He couldn't suppress it, and he was hammered. (laughs) And did it, like, so inappropriately. But also, that's, like, this very confusing thing where the whole family is, like, keeping secrets because they don't understand how to explain to her what is happening. So so they're just not telling her anything. (laughs) It's like, why is it bad to tell her that this is her father? It's that time... uh such a good point. I also heavily relate to this where it is so hard for your family to deal with the truth that they choose just a different shitty truth. And it's just like <laughs> the only reason why that other shitty truth is better is because it's not true, but it's still shitty. Yes. It's, a, it's an equal amount shitty story to be like, this is your uncle. But they're like, no, this yes. is better. It's better that she thinks she's related to him in a different way. You're like, no, no, that's not helpful. It's not helpful, but I, but also I get there's like even on uh, on uh, a white lotus. I was watching it the other day. Like that, there's a part where somebody learns something from a family member late okay. in life, and it's like, uh, and the, the uncle's just like, oh well, I just thought you were too young at the time, and then I just thought somebody would have told you by now. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much, there's so much family drama that's like that where. You can't, I mean, my my stepson, I have a stepson and, you know, have uh, th- so this book also hit me really hard in terms of, like, raising someone else's child and, like, how much, like, the, there there is something about the maternal bond that's, like, the, you don't want to mess with that because that's somebody's parent. Right, that's but you their, want to be there for them. And then you want to be there in a parental, stable, loving way, but you, you just, you can't erase for them who they're, parent is and and so it's like that's so beautiful Erin I know a lot of people not doing that shit (laughs) (laughs) well it's like you this is their this is their karma you know what I mean like not to be like all woo about it but it's like we we came here through two people fucking (laughs) and like these are the two (laughs) or like these two people made you and that's like that's not you can't you know, love that out. Like her, her aunt can't make this not her reality. And wow, yeah, that that is that is so. Wow, my head just like exploded because, <laughs> and also sometimes people are not made that way, which is which is what makes it even weirder because that's it's still two oh, right, DNA strands intertwined. Yes. 
and how intense it is on your life, even if they're not in your life. Like, it's still this, like, this is to get all woo-woo on it. Like, yeah, no, let's go there. You know what I mean? Like, even if you, even if, if even if it's like a, whatever it is, like, the, these are still the two people who created you. And yes. Ro- Rosie feels so tied to Lydia her whole life, even though the person who saved her, who loved her, who is her true mother is Tia. Um, yes. And yet she can never let Lydia go. And also Tia is very cautious around Lydia to try and do what you said of like not overstep the boundary, try and make sure she has a bond with her mom. Even though her mom is beating her, she is calling her ugly to her face constantly as a child. Because, and Rosie is saying like, I got my dad's forehead. My mom was stunning. My dad was not. And I look like my dad. And then her mom and is it's just like, like, you're ugly. You're the ugly one. You're the ugly. You oof. came from him. You're ugly. And, and it's because I mean, she's acting out her own shit. Like, she's acting out her own, like, you're ugly because you represent a time I t- I made a mistake. Like, that's what's ugly about yes. her. She just, oh, it's like, God, I hate parents. I hate parents. But parents I would say, this is first time on a podcast where the adult calling the child ugly isn't the dad. So, hey, there's got to be a win in that, right? All right, Lydia. <laughs> yes. No, Lydia is very feminist because it's like she is an abusive, terrible person and a woman. <laughs> and a sexy lady. <laughs> and I just, just want to clarify, that is a joke for everyone listening. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I, I I mean, the fact that her mom is in her book dedication really, really got me. And I, I want to read this page. This is a trigger warning. It is, it's intense and it describes her relationship with her mom. She grabbed my arm so hard that I thought she was going to rip it right off. I yelped in pain. Duran pushed Lydia back and told her to let go of me. Say what? This man who barely said one word to me was coming to my defense? Holla! Lydia pushed me back down to the floor. I was beyond embarrassed. The subway ride back to Lydia's house was torture. Besides the fact that my shoulder was killing me, she went on and on about how I ruined the night. Back in the house, after her husband dipped out to see his mistress, Lydia beat the shit out of me with a belt and then told me to go to bed and said she was disgusted with me. When I went upstairs, my oldest half-brother was lying under the covers on my mother and stepfather's bed watching television. Hey, Rosie, want to watch TV with me? I sat down on the edge of the bed. Want to see something? I turned my head around, and there he was, stroking his erect penis. Okay, I'm not going to go any further, but then her brother attempts to molest her. She eventually— tells a sibling, or that she, this is, like, even later on. They try to molest her again. A second time, yeah. Yeah, a second time, and, like, other guys are in on it, and then it gets back to her. They basically tell her mom first because they think Rosie's going to rat them out. She doesn't. They tell her mom that Rosie thinks she molested them, and, and Lydia beats Rosie again and says, your brothers would never do that to you. And and the book and even is worse, dedicated to your mom. Your brothers would never do this to you because your sisters are prettier. Like, Oh, it's just like the levels of abuse. The, the Donald Trump logic, you know, of oh. like I only, I only rape the women who are my type. Like you're like shut the fuck up. Like how did you? How can you be so sexist in both ways? <laughs> like in multiple yeah. ways, you're like daggering a woman. It's awful. And this whole it's time, awful. she still lives in what she calls the home. And in the home, it's just as bad. And I'm going to read another horrible page. I'm like, I don't even, like, which one is it going to be? Because there's so I, many. Right? I, I think once I do it, you're going to realize, ugh, there's so many. Okay. This girl in group one wouldn't eat her vegetables. Eat now, commanded Sister Renata, as she stood behind the girl. The room went silent. By the fourth or fifth bite, the girl vomited all of it onto her plate. 
Sister Renata pushed the girl's face close to the vomit and said, now you're going to eat all of that mess, and I better not see a morsel of it left on the plate. The girl slowly picked up a heaping spoonful of her vomit, lips quivering, tears running down her eyes, and swallowed. Sister Renata looked around the room like General Patton after reprimanding the troops and walked away. After the coast was clear, the cafeteria's janitor, this kind black man with a slight hunch in his spine, came over with a wheeled garbage can and covertly dumped the girl's plate and placed it back in front of her in one quick move. God bless that man wherever he is. It's so... I like the moment, little moments where she gives a she gives a shout out to someone who was cool. It's upsetting because because the shout out feels necessary because she's running down a list of like horrific crimes against children. Uh, but there's there's these moments where she's it's like that dude. There's another guy when they're building the home upstate, where she's just like, hey, just want you to know if you were out there reading this, <laughs> I remember you. You oh, were cool. <laughs> I also love those and. And to the point where, like, I'm thinking about this man now. Like, yes. this man's, like, in in my heart as well. And I feel like when your childhood is that intense, those moments of light are so strong that she is still remembering them and, and wanting to thank them. And I— it also, it's so fucking stupid. I can't believe I'm about to do this. It's so fucking stupid. But reading this, you're like, oh, man. Try try and, like, do kind things for kids when you can because it will, like, change their life. And I don't have kids, but, like, whenever you can do something kind for a kid, even if you're a stranger. Yeah, You know, stranger danger. That's such a good point. Yeah. Stranger danger, but also (laughs) You know, don't do something to someone else's kids. But you know what I mean? Like, be kind. Like, like, this man, like, save someone. Yeah. Well, I also think all the time about— because there's so many random things that, like, my mom or, like, an aunt said to me that, like, are drilled into my brain and, like, messed me up. And they were just flippantly thrown. You know, adults say stuff and, and you have no idea the impact on a kid. Oh, yeah. And, and negative. I think about that all the time. Like, what random, like, thing did I say as a joke that's probably, like, destroying my son's psyche right now? <laughs> but, like, the reverse is also true. You can say something... Like, the moments where there's, like, nice nuns who gave her, like, profound encouragement are, you know, are sort of holding her up throughout. <laughs> oh, the- yeah. Yeah. I I remember um, I was once at my Mormon—when be- when I lived in Utah, I had a Mormon best friend who was very into Mormonism, and I was too. I, <laughs> yes. I was like, yes, I want to be liked. I'm a Mormon. You're like, um, obviously, I'm this as well. Obviously as well. I went to all the Mormon activities. And one time at—it was like maybe a family reunion of hers that they, like, let me tag along to. Oh, that where was I was a total fucking outcast, the only brunette. Everyone's, like, blonde and blue and perfect. <laughs> and um, I remember one of her, one of her older cousins, this guy, who was an adult at the time. In my head, he's, like, 50. He was probably, like, a 30-year-old right. man. He's, like, 27, yeah. Yeah, came up to me and was, like, um, you were very special. Like, you have a very special personality, and you're going to go very far and, like, never give up. And I think oh. it had, like, yeah, I think it maybe had gone around that I was, like, a— like a non-Mormon loser, but, um, (laughs) but he didn't, he wasn't converting. He was just, and I, I remember like using that for years. Like that person said I was special. So I'm going to keep going. And this thing that's bringing me down isn't true because, uh, this person said I was special. So I must be, I must be, that was an adult, you know, like a nice, kind, cool family friend. Yes. And sometimes a stranger saying it has the most impact because it's like, well, what does he have to gain from just be telling me something in this moment? That is so true. That is so true. 
So that's um, really, you, you, he was right. Oh, and, he, and, and he was right. I'm really special, Aaron. That was the point of the story. No, well, this you know is I mean? like the, the mom's friend, the, Rosie's mom's friend, Lopez, who is another like sort of beaming Wait, light tell that in a story. shit storm of darkness. Well, he's the one who's like, she's so talented. When she gets the yes. whistle oh and she gets God, her ass beat for story. it. Yeah, she Ooh. wants a whistle and her mom wants her to buy something else. And she says, a no, doll. I want the whistle. A doll. Yeah, so then her mom beats her buys her the whistle begrudgingly, and then she plays it on her stoop, and she is so good rhythmically, and she's dancing around that this guy Lopez is like, like, oh, these people are coming and and looking at her, and then he's like, wow, she's so talented. He says she has talent, and then that's, um, but that upsets her mother because her mother is a narcissist with a personality disorder. So, you know, something good being said about her daughter can't, she can't take that in. But Rosie remembers it. Which yeah. is like this small. Also, I I know what they say about millennials is that like we all want p- participation awards and like every kid can't be special is like the conservative agenda is like every kid can't fucking be special. But reading this book, I was like, there should be like a time like in first grade, every kid should be pulled into a room with a loving teacher who says you're really special. I just want yes. you. Yes. Every single one of them, no matter what, every kid gets pulled in the room and told they're special. That platform. <laughs> that is, I, I honestly think that would fix education. <laughs> because no, that's truly, what we really need. <laughs> you, yeah, you need someone to believe in yourself because when you're a child, you don't, you don't have those those processes formed. You don't have them as an adult either, but you know, listen, (laughs) (laughs) someone else helping you believe in yourself. Yeah. I, I will run on, I'll run on the platform of pull a child into a room and tell them they're special. (laughs) I think that'll go really well for me. Yeah. I'm your, uh, I'm your campaign manager and I've approved this message. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to win. We're going to win. But yes, there, there's that other nun who pulls her aside. And basically, Rosie is, um, she's in the advanced reading courses. She has advanced social skills because she's an extrovert. She's always, like, performing, entertaining. And so they pull her into these classes for advanced kids. And um, they, she keeps moving up. And But she's also, like, getting in fights. She's having mental breakdowns. Like, all the things that come from being institutionalized and abused as a child. And a nun pulls her aside and is like, don't stop. Keep going. Like, you are a good person. Because that's the other thing, too. You start to feel like when you're taught you're a bad person as a kid. Um, which you start to manifest it. You, you totally to believe it. it yeah, out. yeah. And, yeah. And, and she had been taught she was a bad kid. So the nun was like, you're a good person. You can do good things in life. Don't give up. And, and she's also cited in the book as, like, someone who changed her life. Grace. God bless Grace. <laughs> oh. Wait, is her name Grace? Yeah. Or Grace is, there's Connie is also nice to her, but Grace is the one who's like, who's like, you're special and you can't, you don't, she's the one who, when she was dipping and like getting into a lot of trouble after the second attempt by her half-brother to R-A-P-E her, the, when she starts getting into like super depressed and her grades start dropping, this nun happens to come back and is like, hmm, make sure you stay the course and get out of here because you are special and you can do it. And she does. Wow, oh, I love that. Tears. Also, to make this about me, my godmother Grace was that was this person <gasps> in my life. So when you said God bless Grace, I was like, how do you know her? Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> I have a childless aunt Grace who is like very important in in terms of being like you're cool. She's just like a, okay. you're a cool this person. Is, this is blessed. <laughs> <laughs> this is blessed. Um, 
Okay, so then Rosie is basically moved into a group home. So basically she gets to live outside of the Catholic ward without the nuns. And she's living with like eight other uh, teenage girls who are also thought to stand a chance. This is also so sad to that like- So intense there's kids who are not selected, right? Oh, like crazy Cindy yeah. doesn't get picked. Crazy, crazy Cindy, Cindy, where is she now? Will you oh. tell the story of Crazy Cindy? Crazy Cindy is such a delight. And honestly, like you're looking at her, she's such a parallel Rosie. Like she's in there early. She's in there when Rosie gets there. She sort of shows her the ropes and she's always having fun, even though they're, you know, getting abused. And she's sort of always cracking jokes and doing pranks, even though they are getting severely outlandishly punished for these things. And it's sort of like an unbreakable spirit this girl has. Uh, that probably comes from being abused at home as well, but let, no need to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but she's like throughout the, you know, throughout Rosie's time in the home, um, she's like a little older. So there's points in it when she's in a different class, but Rosie sort of always like is checking in with her or always has. And they, they ne- have like neither of them connection. have visitors. That's another big oh, thing. At right, first, neither right. of them have visitors. And so they're always hanging out. And then the first get day Rosie out. gets a visitor, she sees Cindy cry for the first time. There's a section of the podcast called Women We Need to Check On. And yeah. <laughs> if yes, there was yes, ever one, Crazy Cindy, because, because it takes a she turn. She says okay. in the book that she, she says in the book that she kept looking for her. And, and, and can't find her. Couldn't find her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I swear to God, we need a bunch of cookies from the podcast to become fucking detectives. Yes. <laughs> we have some stories to finish here. And one of them is, where is Crazy Cindy? Because, okay, where so wait, tell the turn of Crazy Cindy. Because Rosie comes back one day. She's been living away in this oh group home God, that she got moved into. I forgot about the term. Oh, God. Oh, right. So so something that's looming over them always is that, like, if you get in trouble, and this is so real because it's like when your abusers are in charge of deciding whether you're crazy or not, guess what? You're often crazy. So, but the yes. thing that's looming over them is that if you get in trouble, you get sent to this doctor, and then the doctor decides whether you go to, is it Bellevue? They go to some hospital that's a mental hospital. Yeah, where they'll basically, like, electra, I almost said electrocute. That's not what it is, but they— I mean, it is! <laughs> yeah, like where you electroshock therapy is. You're right. You're right. That is what it that is. It is, is what it is, and it's it's like then people when it's like the you know it's what they're trying to do to shock the homosexual out of people. It's like this is just straight up abuse. Anyway, they the girls come back from there on drugs, like the drugs, you know, prescription drugs, and like zombies, and they've also been electric shock therapied into like you know miles Submission. away from their personality. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And then Crazy Cindy comes back and her she has her eyebrows shaved and she's asking for Rosie. Rosie gets sent back from the home to talk to Crazy Cindy because she's asking for her. Like she's the only one. She and she won't talk to anyone her. else. And she pulled out all her own eyelashes. She comes back and she talk, She asks her, um, like, why did you do it? Why did you shave your eyebrows? And she's just like, I just felt like it. That part, I don't know why that those words alone were like, really seared me. And she starts joking around with Rosie and like, they're just laughing and catching up. And Rosie tries to tell her, stay the course. Like you can get out of here. Like, don't go this way. But it's like, they also, I think what was so sad about that scene was that they finally broke Cindy and it was like, she was unbreakable. And yes, they did it. And and they did it after years. I mean, it took, she's probably 15 at this point. And Cindy had been in the home since she was a baby. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Aaron, this story is just <laughs> obliterating story, me. 
It's going it to make is. it hard to keep. Okay. But the thing that's so, that's like, that I did take away from this is that like, she is positive. Like she is a happy, she's an extrovert, happy person who all this insane stuff happens to. And like, there is, she does pull herself. She pulls her own personality sort of out of the muck. Of yeah. This it, she was so in, inspirational and like, and to, to Rosie too. And then this is another part I really love from the book. Uh, so she's like in a, she's like one of the guys who at the group home is like driving her somewhere. And he asked her what her dream is. And she'd been watching Mary Tyler Moore. And so she basically had a dream to have a nice apartment and bring home groceries and a brown paper bag, like Mary Tyler Moore. And that's what she wanted Ugh, to do. She want, so and she wanted to be a secretary because she watched the show. And the guy driving her said, why limit yourself? Why be the legal secretary and not the head of the firm? Why be an assistant and not the head scientist? I stared back at him. I always thought I was imagining and expecting the best for myself. I was challenged and also perplexed by my low expectations. Maybe it stemmed from constantly hearing my school guidance counselors and other adults always cautioning me not to dream too high. Say that to a kid a hundred million times and they might just begin to believe it. Yeah, well, when your head says one thing and your whole life says another, your head always loses. That's Bogart, Key Largo. He liked that one and sort of smiled back at me. Life dealt you a shitty hand, Rosie. There's no doubt about that. Gee, thanks. Cheer me up, why don't you? He shook his head with a laugh. You can always ask for new cards. Yeah, right. How? Just by asking. You'll figure it out, especially when you get tired of holding on to that hand. I'm crying. (laughs) That's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. (laughs) You can always ask for a new hand. Yeah, also how uh, when you get tired of holding on to the one you have. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right? It's life changing. It is. It's also like the um that's something my therapist says. Uh you, you can you can always start the day over. Like that's something to because I can I can really like spiral into like, oh, if something happens then this and this and this and this. And you can always start the day over is such a um pop, like it's just about like realigning your uh your making sure your thoughts are going towards like what you want instead of what yeah. you're afraid of. Yes. And that's what he's doing here. And also, he's like, why don't you want more? <laughs> and the first person to say that to her. So I also, uh, however you get that message in your life, whenever you need to get it, I hope everyone gets that message. So fucking inspiring. <laughs> it is. It really, I mean, and it's all that, that, um, that manifesting stuff that I like intermittently believe in. But <laughs> when you tell <laughs> oh yourself. Oh my God, Karen. <laughs> That is my religion. I intermittently believe in manifesting. But but what I do believe scientifically as an experience, as my own experience, is is when when I'm thinking positive, positive stuff happens. So if you brainwash yourself into saying, I deserve an apartment and a brown paper bag full of groceries, then you will. Yes. (laughs) If you say it over and over again, you're going to get it. I so sure completely believe that. And also, yes, manifesting aside, scientifically, there is a scientific <laughs> experiment where they showed people a bunch of things and then told them to, like, guess about an image. And if you were showed a certain set of images, everyone would end up guessing, like, the last image. This is also how, like, people, like mentalists exist because they're like, oh, I'm a mentalist. But there's actual brain science to a certain logic to get people to say certain things, which all goes to say, if you were saying certain shit to yourself, that shit will continue to show up. Like if yes. you just, if you get super into like dinosaurs, you're going to see dinosaurs everywhere. 
Like yes. You'll just start to notice them in yes. all the ways they exist in the world. So it's like, get super into success. <laughs> get into it. Get into I'm seeing Tony happy Robbins. stuff in your life. <laughs> your, this is your new campaign. You know what? I'm changing your campaign slogan. <laughs> you know what? Fuck Celebrity Book Club. I'm Tony Robbins running for president. You're running for president and school board all at once. And your slogan is get into success and pull a child aside and tell them they're special. <laughs> special. And I'm not changing my clothes to do it all. I'm doing it all in pajamas. <laughs> um, okay. We're going to take a little break. But when we come back, you just heard that whole childhood. Rosie's going to get famous. Woo! It's such a cool story. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. So... Rosie, the craziest thing, the thing that finally gets her to live with Tia, who's been coming to visit her and taking her over holidays this whole time, is that Rosie gets into a fight with another girl and bites her. And they're like, you know what? You need to go live with Tia. And it's like, what the fuck? She should have done that so years ago. Done it the whole time? Right. Um, so finally that happens, but the money that um, she get, the government gives them, uh, her family for- Still goes for, to her mom. Still goes to her mom. That's, that's the agreement. And so- um, which by the way, I do, I do hate calling stuff like that out because then it plays into the idea of like, oh, people just want like money from the government. None of that's true. We can't go into this on the podcast, but I just don't want any, like, just, 
I'm saying that because it's part of the story, but but that's that doesn't go to fit the stereotype. It's part of the betrayal. I think it is an important element. Of it's the part betrayal, of the betrayal, but, but as a part of our government systems. Uh, listen, come to my Twitter. I'll yell about it there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. She then goes to live in L.A. with one of her cousins. She's making money, but that's not where she gets her big break. And she's not even doing entertainment stuff out there. She then goes back to New York City, and she just has a normal job, and she gives her Tia $100 and then gives Lydia 80 and then feels so guilty that she didn't give her mom the same amount. She's like, oh, I, f- I forgot to give you another 20 and gives— I-, I have never related to something fucking more in my life. Oh. And I fucking hated that. I was like, no. I was furious every time she went to her mom's. I'm oh, screaming furious. at the book. Then she leaves her bag there with all of her own money for rent and a plane ticket home, and her family steals it. Okay, but we're skipping ahead. This is where Rosie's big break comes. She is dancing at a club. And I just want to point this out. Dancing at a club is going to get her multiple big breaks in life. <laughs> so multiple. many. I don't think that getting discovered like in this way is actually real, but it, it really happens to her it, uh, several times. Several times. <laughs> I also was like, this is the story I needed. Like, I didn't think good things could happen at a club. Are you a club yeah, girl? Yeah, no. I was, certainly, when I first went to New York. It, I wish you know, I could I have witnessed 19. this side of you. Oh, my God. How the often? limelight, excuse me. I was at <laughs> body, the body and soul party, which was like, a party that didn't even start until 2 a.m. and then went until 6 a.m. at like a church. In New- I mean, why? I don't know. Oh, I remember that place. It, it was like a church that got turned into a nightclub. I would walk by it as I like read books. That's limelight. <laughs> as I read That's books. limelight? <laughs> That's no, limelight. I was, the I, Body and Soul okay. Party was at a different church. Oh, but fun. That, but there was like, there was, but, I, but in this in the book she talks about, you, you know, like there, there are dance groups that were cool at these parties and I did sort of you know like witness that as not that I was in them but I saw them from afar and I was like wow look at those groups of dancers <laughs> I mean I can't I, I'm just like I, what have I done with my life like I should have been going to clubs because Rosie is just dancing and a soul train scout sees her she gets on the show Soul Train for two years. The videos are what Aaron and I were talking about at the beginning of this episode. She is just, like, unreal. I'll post them all. Also, how cool that she, like, loved Soul Train her whole life. Okay, sorry. Oh, yes, She yes. loved Soul Train, and then she got on it. It's so cool. It's I so cool. It. And then, and then she is recruited to be the choreographer for Bobby Brown's solo break from New Edition. New Edition is like, you know, one of the biggest groups. And Bobby Brown is the star. He's going solo. And Rosie Perez was the fucking choreographer for that music video. Aaron. Completely untrained. It's okay. Has, so, yes, that is exactly what I was going to ask you. Where the she's fuck not even did she learn paid. how to dance? She's not even being paid to dance at Soul Train at this point. She's getting paid in chicken wings. Yeah, oh, <laughs> she's yes. like a stand-up comedian, like getting paid in drink tickets. I was going like, to say, I have been paid in chicken wings before, but I thought it was for <laughs> shitty comedy comedians, not like hot dancers. Not an actual TV show. Yeah, uh, but, but I mean, like you just heard her childhood. Like there's no dance lessons in there. And, and she's never mentioning lessons. dancing. So I'm just like, where did you learn to dance? And it's just like, by being extroverted and flexible and so. growing up and quite often also, in the streets like, as she did. It's peppered in, like she, as a, in a, you know, in the crib as a child would dance to the music and stuff. It's like, clearly she has uh, an, an innate ability. She yes. has a God-given talent. But it is also like, how the, <laughs> how could this happen? It's an, it's an incredible story because you're also like, I mean, I know, 
I know a little about your childhood that I've learned through the podcast and through our DMs, but like, (laughs) so one of the things that I think like instantly connects people is like when you're like, okay, you know, especially in this industry, I feel like there's a lot of people that had stuff, had money, had opportunities when they were younger. And then when you meet someone who did not, who got to a place where they are okay now, you're like, yes, you forever you're my friend. You're my life. And, <laughs> and we can spot each other. We can sniff each you other can out. See it. You can see it. You instantly. You're like, I, I see you. Great work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just also, being I, here is amazing. People sometimes ask like, oh, do you have like imposter syndrome? And like the, the truth is that I do not at all. And it is a shock to me that I am here. But because I was present for every fucking, mm. every fucking thing that you had to go through to get here. And I, it, yes. it was so fucking Well, you're hard. stronger. And it still you're is. You're definitely stronger. And I remember it all. And so when it's like, can you believe you have this? And you're like, yeah. yeah. It was a nightmare to get here. I, I can't believe I didn't turn it. back. <laughs> like, yes. every, everything from, like, not having a place to live to money issues to emotional shit. Like, everything mm-hmm. is so fucking hard. And when you finally yeah. get here, I lived in like, a tent <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> What? And that, and like that, we. I lived in a tent for two years as a child, as like an infant. Two years. I'm really glad that you told me because I was like, you know, because I never like being pushed to share. So it's like if you want to share, you can share. But God, Aaron, I'm so glad you. Shared this. <laughs> but but it's two I, years. Like, even like getting to call. It's like even getting anywhere. Like every time I get anything in life, I'm like. I'm like, I made it so much further than I should have. And I'm going to keep going. (laughs) It's also where it's like, I can't believe in God because God has a plan for everyone. This couldn't have been his. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, my plan was definitely (laughs) to be like dead in a river. Like, I overcame your plan. (laughs) (laughs) But it it also reminds me of, of when I worked in development. So I think like in childhood, when you have nothing and you are around people who have stuff and stuff and you're like, oh, if only, if only, if only. And then like when I got, you know, got into like mid twenties and I worked in in development, I, it like cracked open for me because there are people who went to Harvard, who went to those things. I was like, oh, they must be smart. And then they're not, they're no not. offense if you went to Harvard, but, but you're, you're not. not. You're not smarter than me. <laughs> you're not. You're not smarter than me. I've met you and you're not smarter than me. Your father went there and donated a building and I'm not impressed. Yes. But the like the people who are like there were a lot of them in development who are, they got they, they got the position because you know their brother's best friend owns HBO and whatever and I'm like I I like you and I can hang out with you and I like we can be friends but like you I you don't have my heart. <laughs> And you never will. <laughs> yes, I completely, I completely agree with this. I have also gotten very good at guessing which Ivy League people come from. <laughs> <laughs> That's how attuned I am to the personalities. That's a fun, um, wait, I want. It's like a horoscope. I do want to hear. You're like, what makes a, new, a yeah. Yale Virgo? <laughs> I feel like everyone should hear this. Like every time you look and think like someone knows what they're doing, and that's why you're not included. Like it's a lie. It's a, there's all, and in fact, this is my quote. There is always a dumbass at the table. You could build the best table in the world and a dumbass will always be there. Always. Find their way in. They find their way in. Yes, and also welcome. I love them there. Love having them there. Love making love fun of them. Love having them there. You know, we got to get our self-esteem somehow. And it but can't just Rosie's. be from dunking on Harvard because we're jealous. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. And it okay, is all. Rosie. <laughs> Back to Rosie, but back but to Rosie. I love the Rose, the Rosie that she's completely untrained, and they people just keep plucking her because she is 
good and she has confidence and that is all she, it takes. <laughs> yeah, and there and there is something like special in her and and um she's so she's a choreographer. A choreographer to the point where she's uh, up for awards that Paula Abdul gets. Like that's where, three times. Yes. I mean nominee. I mean <laughs> huge career. Then she's at another club. There's a competition <laughs> for like juicy booties or something. And she has a tiny little butt. So she gets up there to make fun of it. This, this is her <laughs> words. So she's up there like shaking her ass to make fun of the butt competition. And Spike Lee sees her. And this he comes over to her in that moment. And he casts her in Do the Right Thing. Which, I mean, this is her moment. And he tells her, remember this night. This night's going to change your life. Which, by the way... <laughs> Hilarious, Spike Lee. You were like, eh, tonight's the night, baby. I mean, he was right. But he still makes her audition. <laughs> He's she right still, and gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He makes her audition still. He didn't just give it to her. And, like, there's another story where, like, she gets a ride home with him to Brooklyn, and he doesn't even take her to her house, like, drops her off at a corner. And then in the chapter about him changing her life, she says something very fucked up happened between them that she's going to keep private. And then says that later in life she went up to him and his wife and asked if they could start over. And that they're good now. She, it is interesting the way she speaks. Because I'm also one of my all-time favorite films. It's in my top two. <laughs> a perfect movie. But but she's the way she talks about him directing her. And of course, it also is like she's not an actress. So her the way she's taking up space on set is possibly uncomfortable. Or, and, or And she says that her personality was like, that she was feeling shy and bad. And so everyone kind of thought she was a monster. Right. She says that in the book. Right. And and uh, I've been there. I mean, I guess imposter syndrome, you're like, I've, I've certainly, I've had that experience of like being with a bunch, like I used to work for a director and he was like, we were a theater, he was a writer and director and we were like, it was all these Juilliard people and I just felt very uncomfortable around him and so I was rude and then I, I talked to my dad on the phone and he was like, why don't you just be, if you have fun around them, just be fun. And then I went in the next day and flipped a switch. And they were like, we were going to fire you, but now you're being so fun. <laughs> oh, it, my gosh, Aaron, what a great story. Isn't that wild? Like, they were like, oh, my God, thank God you started being cool because we were so about to fire you because you were not, you were, you really didn't seem like you wanted to be here. But I was just embarrassed. I thought I wasn't as smart. And maybe she was doing a little of that. Wow, I'm going to go back and forgive all the bitchy people in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, um, speaking of forgiving bitchy people, there's one thing I wanted to re- read. Okay, that please was, like, do it. Super powerful to me. Please okay. do it. It's when she's on Soul Train, and she gets she said there's like you know I, there's there's uh, politics of who gets to dance and all this stuff, and she says even I got caught up in it. There was this one beautiful girl with short red hair who got a lot of camera time, but that wasn't the reason I was jealous of her. This stupid boy I liked liked her. And blah, blah, blah. Of course, my pride wouldn't allow me to admit it. Instead, I was a complete ass toward her. She's stealing my moves. You know, all that stupid young shit. I remember complaining to Tia about it. And Tia said, I, you sound so stupid. Even you don't even know her, what her life is about. It might be hell. All over a boy. Please don't be like that. It makes you look ugly. Woo! I loved that. <laughs> I love that, Tia. Love Tia's advice. Love your dad's advice. I, I also feel like uh, this is maybe an unlikable thing to say, but I, I feel like I've been the other person in that story several times because mm. I, when I feel bad, 
something happens in me where I talk more, I smile more, I make friends with people I should never fucking talk to. Like I just, that's my insecurity. And it, it looks like extreme confidence. And mm. I feel like then people are like, well, fuck you for being, you know, and you're like, I want to die. I don't know why it's coming out like this. <laughs> right, right. Like, Please don't be mean to me too. <laughs> yes. Well, it also just made me realize like, I mean, I don't know, how, hopefully this like generation's, generationals out, whatever that. Yeah. yeah. Generational out. out. It's our new phrase. In the similar Times way out. that like, in the similar way, like she has like beef with JLo. I'm like, I, I hope this stuff goes away where like you fight with women because there's not enough space for you. And just so you're fighting with a woman over a dude. Like yeah. who cares? And like, there's only enough yeah. space for all of us. If, if we like link arms, red Rover style. And like storm, storm the building. You know what I mean? Like you have to do it yes. together or there won't be space for more. But I, okay, Erin, a qu- quick thing. And, and, then, and then we have so much more book. Oh my the God, quick yes, thing sorry. is that I, no, this is all my fault. The quick thing is that I have a theory. I've talked about it on other podcasts that The Bachelor is a cultural clock on our society. There's no think piece that is better than just watching The Bachelor. There's no Nate Ooh. Silver. It's watching The Bachelor. And this past season, um, Katie was basically an anti-bullying advocate. And there was an entire season about how women shouldn't tear each other down. And she became the hero because she was like, don't bully them. You don't know them. Like you can, you don't have to like them or whatever, but don't bully them. Katie became such a hero. She got her own show. I'm not sure that's really been a great season, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) When I watched that, I was like, I I was crying, which is pathetic, but I was crying because I was like, oh my God, it's here. It's here. Like you can't fucking bully people for no fucking reason. And it's here. And it's here for women on a show built Mm. for women to bully each other. And I was like, okay, this is a cultural moment. I'm (laughs) chills. Okay, thank you. I'm chills because you're talking about The Bachelor. (laughs) I do think I'm like, and I know you also love Housewives, but it's like, I I think there's a, uh, there is, there is an important lens that reality TV provides. I know it's not real, blah, blah, blah. But of what is, what culturally we're all going, okay, this right now. This is yes. how, this is what's okay and what isn't okay. Even like last season on Potomac when there was a fight where, I'm sorry, I grew up in fighting culture as I know uh, you obviously, did. Obviously, same. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, same. And everyone's always like, ew, gross. You're like, yep, I know. No, like I, I, would, I have been in so many physical fights and I would do it again. <laughs> Okay, Which is also right. funny because the way the the way people came down on the sides of that fight in Potomac and whose side you were on said a lot about had you gotten Your into childhood. a fight before. Yes, it did. Because the people who had gotten into fights were like, she fucking asked for it. And she if you step to them, you to have to hit. step back. <laughs> you have to you have to do it. You have to. And and then everyone was like, but why would you ever hit someone? And you're like, because she asked her to. Yeah, well, and you know what, Ray Sani, shout out to her. She actually like went, like convinced me, sat with me long enough to convince me that like this is not acceptable behavior in what is a workplace, <laughs> and you can't be physically assaulting people at their place of work. No, of course you can't. Of course you can't. Yeah, but I was like, obviously, but also I would have hit her. You can't. It doesn't mean I don't understand it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And I would have hit her. I would have. I would have hit her too. Because she should have been hit last season when she was talking about whether or not <laughs> Ashley wanted to get pregnant or not. That was when, outrageous. When you get in someone's face and, 
and and physically get in their face and wave something in them and say, fight me, fight me. There will be a part of my childhood that says, if I don't do this, you'll kick my ass anyway. Um, oh my and God. I think that's, it's obviously deeply, okay, deeply traumatized people. We don't condone violence, you know. No, absolutely not. Absolutely okay. not. But, the, <laughs> the, but we see it in someone, someone else has that response. We understand why. And like Rosie yes. Perez has it. Oh, yes. and she gets in so, so <laughs> many fights. And actually, to what you were just saying about women, I wanted to read another part in this. She said, she's talking about hip-hop and the culture of misogyny. Oh, yes, yes, And yes. how men and their careers and what happened, and then this is what she said about women. This type of juvenile behavior made women who were serious about their careers, the juvenile behavior being like men, like fucking and doing drugs and drinking. This type of juvenile behavior made women who were serious about their careers very cautious, secretive, and bitchy. You had to be and to, to succeed. And I circled that, and I was like, is this me? <laughs> is this going to be me? Like, is it, and I, I have this all the time in these books where, like, in order to be a woman and not get wrecked, you become so tough and hardened right. that you lose all your good qualities. Well, I and I mean— that hasn't happened to you because you're very fun. Well, I'm very but, nice right now, but you know what I mean? Like, is it coming for us? Is it coming for all of us? But I, I also remember this thing that I read in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's biography where she was talking about how a, a generation of— when she was at uh, law school at Columbia, this this group of women who were younger than her, I want to say like five years younger or whatever, they came, they came in and they were demanding a women's bathroom in a, in a building. God forbid. And yeah. she had the reaction of like, they should be quiet. Like, they shouldn't— they shouldn't ruin this for us. Like they need to accept, like just be, be cooler. And then she had yeah. to like check herself and be like, you know, it's good that they feel empowered enough to demand something as basic as a bathroom. <laughs> but anyway, the point is hopefully we, this stuff like ages out where you don't have to be a cold bitch in order to succeed as, as Rosie undoubtedly did on all these hip hop tours. Okay, that was so well said. So well said. And yes, completely. Age out. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to hit some highlights. She's somehow friends with Puffy. And then when the do the right thing, Puffy's there uh, when he was still called Puffy. And when the do the right thing premiere happens, she is dating a man who is put in jail. And so Puffy is like, hey, I should go to that with you. It'll be a good look. And she says, I can't do this. My boyfriend. He's like, it's not about that. It's just, it'll be a good look and you should wear this and I'll wear this. And it made me really like him because she said he was always like entrepreneurial and always climbing to get ahead. And then he did. And he was always saying like, I mean, truly it, it was like, oh, and then there's pictures of them at the premiere and you're like, how the fuck did they know each other? It's like, it's a guy who wanted to go down the red carpet. That's how they know each other. (laughs) Um, That's how they know each other. (laughs) Um, Then, very quickly, with not enough detail, she talks about dating a man and knowing he's gay and they're platonic, but they're in a two-year relationship. Not enough about that. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's because it's so fast. And then— But also, she's so traumatized. It probably was a great relationship because they weren't having sex and they were just really intimate and she probably needed intimacy in that way. To understand it non-sexually is really good. That's a great analysis. Uh, And then very, very heartbreakingly, after this relationship, he gets AIDS. And this starts her activism work with HIV and working with the AIDS community. And she's a really loud voice about this cause when not a lot of people were. And that's going to come back later in the book. So put a pin in that. Okay, next highlight. She's out there protesting um, about HIV 
And Susan Sarandon is next to her. And I was like, damn. <laughs> like, for anyone in 2016 who thought Susan Sarandon popped up as a socialist, no. She been here. She's She been a Bernie she bro been. for years. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it is like Rosie Perez is like the Forrest Gump of 90s entertainment. <laughs> it's so I much. Mean, like, she's we're just, like, how is there so much? She just with everyone at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah. And now we're at the J-Lo drama, which we must discuss. So. Yes. Rosie is brought in as the choreographer for In Living Color. I always thought she was a fly girl because my brain is warped, but she's not. She just. Me too. No, I thought that too. Yeah. No, she's their boss. I don't know. Maybe she had to. Maybe because they danced so much like her. I I don't. It's so weird because I also thought that. Yeah. Go on. Okay. So there's a lot of J-Lo dish in this. At first, I thought Rosie was very fair because she included both sides. But then as I've taken more time to think about it, I realized she was actually, <laughs> there's a lot of shit she included that she should not. And This she, is the one part where I feel like her therapy did not show up. <laughs> no, it, it was not <laughs> present. Um, and she really uses a tool of fighting that I can't fucking stand where she's basically telling you all this horrible shit other people said about J-Lo. Oh, so, so it's not like, yeah. well, it's not like she's saying it, but she's, but she's writing and publishing in a book. And actually I'm going to read some of what she said about this. She said, she's at the auditions for a new dancer. Second day, we still had nothing. Then I saw this curvy, heavy set, big ass, beautiful girl. She wasn't the best dancer, but definitely had an immense amount of star quality and a stunning face. Keenan said, no, she couldn't dance as well as the other girls kind of called her chubby and corny. We started to aye, argue. Aye, aye. I lost. So it's like, first off, gross. In what in what world is that bitch heavy set? How uh, dare you? Then she's like, I don't well, love- and thought she was a busted cow, but not me. <laughs> and I'm, you know what? I'm sure this conversation actually happened, but I think to your point, like to, to publish it now, knowing what she knows is is a choice. <laughs> and I also think, yeah, I think. Uh, being a dancer, being someone who wanted to be a starlet in the 90s, J-Lo's Latina, like against all the stereotypes, being called heavy set and fat and thick was probably something that really crushed her. I mean, yeah. it's so crazy looking back at everyone being like, her butt is so big. And you see it now and you're like, normal, nice butt. It's a well, now that everybody butt. has butt implants, it's like seems yeah. average. But it's just like, we, <laughs> wow, we really thought women should just like end at the hip bone and go straight down. Like for, there was a period of time where like you should have no butt. Like jeans should stay up by like magic. But they, but even then it was like, I like big butts. There were, pe- butts were I- important. And then it was still like, but this one's a little too big. It's like, what is the lie? That's so much. Oh, like, yeah. And because you're entering like maybe like white rom-coms and white spaces that this was, anyways, okay. Disgusting. Mm, she continues to right. tear J-Lo down. She's like, she's fat. Everyone says she has to lose weight. She needs to lose weight. Lose at least 20 pounds. It's like, it kills you every time. You know what um, I, the, I saw in this part of myself was like when in college, when you like want to be cool with the, or this to me anyway, I want to be cool with the guys. And there were, there were times I would be like, I would agree that some woman blank, like some woman is annoying because blank. Or I'm sure these girlfriends. Hot slut. She's a slut. She's a that's slut. A, that's yeah, a great early aughts word. That, that kind of stuff. And I, I see Rosie like aligning herself with um, her boss and, and being like, like she's putting it on him, but she's also kind of agreeing. And it does seem a little late in life to me to be um, 
still sort of supporting these viewpoints. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. She clearly <laughs> wants to do this. Because at first I was like, oh, she just she's just honestly talking about this because it was in the press that they had um, beef. And, yeah. But then it's like, oh, no, you actually didn't have to do it like this. And, like this. And she did say that J-Lo talked a bunch of trash about her in the media. I tried to find it. The only thing I could find is a classic shady J-Lo quote where she says— <laughs> Oh, in the beginning, they were offering me all these horrible roles, like the maid and the stripper and the slut, you know, Rosie Perez roles. I'm paraphrasing a little. I don't don't think she said slut, but she said maid and she said something else. Yeah. And obviously that, I mean, that's just like a cutting to the bone. Uh, But with with being like, oh, I'm just talking about acting. Um, Well, I'm not a thank you for, you know, she's a generation before you paving the way. Oh, yes. Not a, just so like, oh, I'm better than that is is cut. That's hurtful. It's hurtful. And also Rosie was her boss. Rosie gave her this break, but also they're they're two Latinas in a world where like they're still only casting white women and everything. And- Mm Um, and, and Rosie's just like, they got into all of this shit and then they get into an actual fight in a club. And then later on, she says she found out that some people, when JLo started to get successful, went and talked a bunch of shit about Rosie to her. Like, oh, Rosie hates you, blah, blah, And kept the feud going for long, longer than it should. And she doesn't want that. She wants them to support each other. And all these, she, she ends it so wonderfully. But when this yeah. book came out, the only headline was, calls J-Lo fat. You know what I mean? Like, no <laughs> one read the part in the book where she was like, all of that was bullshit and I regret it. Because, is, you know, well, she yeah, put she said this was young stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But even yeah. in that fight, I, uh, I, it, it is interesting she talked about the fight and how she, I just don't feel like she admits fully her role in whatever that fight was. But I do, yeah. I do believe that people were fanning the flames of this. Again, another example of, of like, to people who should have been supporting each other. And then there was probably like a lot of jealousy going both ways, frankly. Of course. <laughs> also, I-, I have to say, Rosie's book made me love J-Lo more than J-Lo's own book. Wow. Because, <laughs> yes, because within it, she had this great scene where they decided to make the Fly Girls a singing group. And Rosie's talking about how none of them can sing, J-Lo can't sing, and so they make them all the leads. But it's not going well. And one day she goes into the studio because they're basically threatening Rosie. Like, if you don't make this girl group work, you're fired. So she Mm -hmm. goes in there and she's like, you better fucking sing these notes right or you're going to be known as just the fly, the the one, the- the, Who used to be a fly girl. Yeah, the one girl who used to be a fly girl. That's all you'll be known as. And that's all you'll be known as. And J-Lo says, no, fuck that. I'm more than this. I'm more than this moment, and I'm going to be more than this. And I went back and looked up J-Lo's Fly Girl audition, where she is. And I just want to say this clearly. She's doing a level of moves that if I studied for the next 20 years every day, could never accomplish. (laughs) (laughs) I I could never even come close. But in the line of dancers, she's not the best dancer at all. She's like missing mm-hmm. a bunch of moves. She's She has a singing part of this audition. Not good, not good. <laughs> and to see that she did keep going, did say she was more than this. Now she's like the most phenomenal dancer you could ever fucking see. She's a huge star. She stars <gasps> in movies. Um, she she just sang at the inauguration. It's like, holy shit, J-Lo. The you really did push through. I forgot about that. That's yes. Like- I mean, come on. Also, in this moment, you finally get J-Lo's story, which is that everyone was fucking calling her fat everywhere she went. 
And she and kept going. And people are jealous of her. And people are jealous of her. And they're like, you're fat and you should lose weight. And there's nothing I understand more than that. And now she's on a goddamn yacht getting Ben Affleck to fuck her again. <laughs> getting, yeah, like he's a git. I mean, he's and not. Now, but, you know, she's all, doing what she wants. And I like that. <laughs> oh my God, that's such a good point. And also, I, I never even thought about this. Again, I have, I am getting chills. But it's like, she's being told she's fat her whole life. And then now at fucking 52 years old, at we're 52, all like, she looks 20. I want that body. We're all like, that. We're all like, I mean, maybe we should have so much body image stuff, but it is wild. What a journey for her. Yes. <laughs> she's now, we're all like, that's the body. That's the oh. epitome of perfection. Yes. Body. Yes. And we're Ugh. in a cultural moment where like at another year, it would have been like desperate Chelo, like goes back to fucking X with a Phoenix tattoo. And, and oh my God. Yes. And, and now we're all just we're like, get all it, girl. Sitting here being like, we need this. Fuck him. <laughs> get everything you need from him. <laughs> Yeah, we're um, literally like, suck his blood. You deserve oh, it, girl. <laughs> oh, girl, get everything you need and could ever want and desire. I'm, I'm so thrilled about it. It's disgusting. Um, okay. <laughs> now back to Rosie. We're kind of coming towards the wrap-up of the book, which is weird. Rosie is in another movie. She is nominated for an Oscar. I never I knew Rosie was nominated for an Oscar. never heard of this movie. <laughs> ever, I've never heard of the movie either. I honestly, I should say it. And I can't remember it. <laughs> I can't. Fearless? I only remember because I was just trying to tell my cousin about it. Because I was like, I didn't know this one existed. And I yeah. didn't know she was nominated for an Oscar. But she's, she's not for White Men Can't Jump. But yeah, exactly. for this movie, no one for saw. Okay. Fucking Oscar. Fearless. She, Tia doesn't want to go because she's too humble. Then she takes her dad, who has loved her and wanted to be a part of her life her whole life. He is diabetic. He has a minor diabetic attack at the Oscars, and Tom Cruise <laughs> takes care of him. Great part of the Holds story. Holds his hand. Holds also, his wait, hand. I, I love that she was that, that. It's like a story about how great Tom Cruise is, but he's not like I'll go get some juice. No, you no, stay no. here with like, your father, which is yeah. how it should go. You stay here with your father. I'll get some juice. He's like, you go ahead. I'll hold his hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> weird. It's so funny. And, and that's not how emergencies work. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're about to announce who's going to win the Oscar. And her dad's like, hey, just so you know, like, you're not going to win. That kid is going to win. And lo and behold, <laughs> Anna Paquin wins that year when she was nine years old, which I do remember that. She had her little blue beret. Um, and then she is now huge. And this crazy—so much crazy shit happens. Like, I, I'm just, like, so exhausted by it. And she had to live it. She, she goes—she's so depressed that she goes on a shopping spree. And she's living with her sister, her younger sister, Kathy, at this point. Kathy is like, why? Her, do- her mother's daughter. Yeah, her mother's daughter. Note, just because yes. the sides of the family are very different. <laughs> That's right. And Kathy's living with her. She goes on a shopping spree. She comes back. Kathy's like, you didn't buy anything for me? Like, fuck you. And Rosie's like, I'm going to dinner. She's like, bring me back some food. Rosie goes and buys her a bunch of hostess cakes. And she's like, I can't believe you didn't get me real food. Kathy is fully pregnant and a good, like, seven years younger than Rosie. Kathy is so mad at Rosie for not getting her food or buying her clothes that she beats the shit out of Rosie. Throws her downstairs. Throws her down the stairs. Rosie flees her own apartment, is in the hospital for massive head wounds. When she goes to go back to her house, one of her friends is like, don't go. Your family member is on the street selling all your belongings. So this is what her family does to her. This is after they were, like, going to the press being, like, like saying all this oh. went during her Oscar run. Yeah. So during her Oscar run, she finally has the courage to say things like, I grew up in a home. Or there, there was a lot of, of abuse around me. And her family members are going to the press saying, she's a liar. No one abused her. All this stuff. 
Yeah. And she gets colder to the press because of this, this interaction that her family created. Which is yes. Very, and then the press so paints her as a bitch and it, 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 you, it's not in the book, but it's clear that this cycle of events took her out for a, a good chunk of years. Cause yes. after this, Rosie from Hollywood disappears and mm-hmm. she's popped up later in Search Party and all these things. But like, there's a good chunk of years she is not acting. And she was nominated for an Oscar. Nominated yeah. for an Oscar to being gone for a long time. And you can tell it's because her family, this horrible event that happens with her family. And then at the end of the book, she is in a parade for Puerto Rico. And she's like the queen of the parade. And someone runs up to her. She hasn't talked to her family in years. They run up to her and they tell her that Lydia has AIDS. And it's the cause she's been working for her whole life. And she goes to see her mom. She brings her dad to her mom. She gets her help. She sends her money, all this stuff. And her family members still go to the press and say, like, famed AIDS activist Rosie Perez won't help her mom dying of AIDS because then they they get money when they sell that story to like whatever Mm -hmm. rag. And at the end of the book, she is still trying with her family, talking about loving her mom, repairing her relationship with Kathy because she missed her. Kathy's the one who threw her down the stairs. Why are we talking to Kathy anymore? Why are we talking to Kathy? Which, by the way, I do not, again, do not condone violence. Do not condone violence. The fact that she was eight months pregnant doing this, I was like, Wow. Right. That's badass. I wish she wasn't doing it, but like, holy shit. Well, like, it's also, I mean, it, and Rosie does say in the book, and I, I and I kept thinking it throughout the book, but it's like her, her half siblings, her mother's kids are all abuse victims. And they're like acting out what they have been taught, which is violence. And it is manipulation. And it is using like, it's like her mother uses, I love you, the pull, the, the pull of it, the promise of it and the withholding of it. Yes. as a tool. And Her so greatest weapon, it, yeah. And, and even the, 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 oh, that moment in the book, I, I underlined it, I can't know if I can find it, but where, where her mom just randomly calls her when she's living in LA and says, I love you and hangs up. And, and I know this because, I mean, I have a person in my life who has a personality disorder and I know this to be true, but like you can't create enough boundaries to, 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 to prevent it from wounding you. Like that, mm. that moment is, You'll never know if her mother had an agenda to say that. Right. Or really was apologizing. And you can't know. So you just have to take it as it is. And then you have to create the, like, I've struggled with this so much because you, I don't, you don't want to be someone who's, who's got boundaries. You don't want to be someone who doesn't talk to your family or. Of course not. Yeah. Or, or who doesn't, you know, an AIDS activist. But then you have her to mother when it's AIDS. healthy for you. It's a safety issue. I've like, heard. <laughs> Someone I've, told me. I've heard others <laughs> say that's very helpful and then healthy. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a person in my life who has a personal disorder who I who I would never want, but it's and it wasn't my choice to not be speaking. But thank God that choice was made for me because I wouldn't have done mm-hmm. it. And it's now like the greatest gift is like oh I the the way I support is just like have sympathy and no it's like they. That's something that her aunt and her father were encouraging her to do. And I don't think they had all the information, but um, I do think it came from a good place, which is like, forgiveness is for you. <laughs> they're encouraging her to forgive her mom. Not to go necessarily, they're encouraging her maybe too much to go to her mom. <laughs> but she's mental illness. Yeah. Yes. She's mentally ill. Like you're not safe there. You can forgive her and not go to her house. <laughs> but I, I will say, Erin, and this is a frequent theme on this podcast, 
I don't believe forgiveness is for you. And the day <laughs> I am finally fucking convinced, I swear to God, I'll end this podcast. I'll be like, I've done it. I've talked enough about women's stories. But like, you cannot get it in me to forgive for me. Like, I can't. I can't. I'm too mad. I but will yeah, say sure, in, sure. in my ex- I've experience heard with the person who is like that, when I'm when I'm not forgiving, I um, the person who suffers is me. Because I'm not talking to that person. I'm not talking to the other person. So I'm reliving. I'm going through the things they've done and I'm this and this and what I would say to them. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, I'm just, I'm attacking me over and over yeah. and over again. Well, with the and thoughts. I should say this. I actually very recently in my life forgave someone and it felt so wonderful. It's the best thing that ever happened. And also I was instantly like, why did we ever have this? And I, I'm suffering so much less. And I still do not believe that forgiveness is for you. <laughs> I fucking refuse. No. Wait, I'm me, holding I out have, on multiple people. I have, a, I have a great story that I think that you really like. Can I tell this yes. quick story about my dad? Okay, wait. Yes. So, so my my mom had an affair, which I didn't find out about until much later in life. But my, Ooh, that's my twist. My, my father, it, it was with my dad's really good friend. Guy was really hot, by the way. I'm always like, wait a like, I can't believe my mom scored both dudes. My my father <laughs> and this man were both extremely hot. Um, but amazing. He was my dad's really good friend, and oh. when my dad got sick, my dad got Parkinson's, and when he was sick, he, he the medication like he, anyway. He he had a moment where he saw this dude at a wedding, and they like forgave each other. This man is crying in my father's arms, and he's like, it was so wrong of me. You were my friend, da da da. And my dad's like, I forgive you. Like, you know, people make mistakes, blah, blah, blah. He tells me about it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible. Like, that's so great. He's like, I think we're going to be friends. And then two weeks later, my dad calls me and he's like, you know what? I was thinking about it. And um, I think it was like the meds because I do not forgive that guy. <laughs> yes, yes. And he was like, should I call him? And I was like, no, don't tell him. You don't need to correct it. You don't need to call him and tell him you actually don't forget. I love this story. I love this story. And he shouldn't forgive him. And also, I mean, as his friend, absolutely not. And they were married. I will say this, Aaron, I've done that twice. <laughs> You've forgiven and then called back and been like, I don't forgive you? Uh-huh. Yeah, like to a friend, I was like, I forgive you and we're at peace. And then a couple weeks later, they're like, I'm really glad we're at peace now. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm still mad. <laughs> you know what? I actually, that's, um, I think doesn't get enough credit because I do something where I'll say I've forgiven you and I, and I haven't actually. So then you're the next is like, I'm so glad we're at peace. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, isn't it great? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, uh, yeah. and I'm being weird. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's more honest and a better friend move to be like, you know what? I've regressed a bit. And I don't think I do forgive you right now. <laughs> you know what? Totally. I don't, I don't say the, I don't think the way I did it is the better way, but I do, I do agree with that of like, you can't, I, cause I, 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 you know, I'm joking around. I, I want to be healed. I don't want to hold on to these things. It's honestly exhausting, but I can't pretend that I have either. I can't also be like, yeah, I heard it's for you. And then I did it like, cause I didn't. <laughs> Does the person who you haven't forgiven know who, you, who they are? <laughs> <laughs> they would be a fucking moron. You have to be the dumbest person alive to know. Because I will say this. I, I, I'm not like the be nice queen. But I, 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 I am only mad at you if you fucking beyond deserve it. Or you, like, ab- abused someone and I witnessed it. But, like, I, I'm not, like, flippantly 
a bit. Right. In, right. in fact, I'm I'm too I'm often too nice in a like dangerous way for myself. Again, yeah. I've I've gone over to dinners that I shouldn't be at where I'm like, you seem to need someone, I'll stay here. Like, <laughs> no, no. So so yes, if I'm mad at you, you're I hope you're dreaming about me. You I are hope I'm dead. in your fucking nightmares. <laughs> Do people know that you don't know? Because you eat it. You keep it to yourself so they don't know when you're mad. Ooh, I don't know. There's one person. Mm, I think only the mentally ill person in my life probably is aware. It's <laughs> <laughs> not that where I, I thought that sentence was going to go. <laughs> I think the, the mentally ill person in my life is the one person who, like, probably considers himself an enemy. Even though we're, like, in a family together. Well, let's, we're considering that a win. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's more common than you think. And here's the thing. Everyone, like we said, you walk outside, you say, my shit's fucked up. And everyone goes, me too. Like, they're yes. often in your own family. It's okay. Yes. Okay. And that is true to Rosie's story. So let me read the very last page. But not for nothing. I could have done without the home and Sister Renata beating the crap out of me. You know what I'm saying? But I must admit, the home gave and taught me so much. Yes, it could have been better if I was left with Tia, but St. Joseph's Catholic Home for Children was most definitely a better choice than being raised with my mom. Gosh, that's so sad, but true. Yes, it's very hard to go there, but when you do, you will find yourself along the way. And I hope your hair looks fabulous while doing it. Holla! Holla! That's the last word of her book. <laughs> I really loved it. I oh, loved this I book. Love I loved this book. And also, she's like, Rosie's in so many things now, and it's like so even more joyful to see her, even though I've always yes. loved her. Okay, so we end every podcast with a thank you to the author. I'll go first, then I'll throw it to you. So I want to thank Rosie for her role in the movie, It Could Happen to You. This is one of my favorite rom-coms from childhood. And it is not a role that should have gone to her in that moment. And yet it did. And she's so fucking funny. She's hilarious. She's hot. She plays a bitch. She's like the quintessential, like everything I always wanted to be. Like I wanted to be an actress because I was like watching Rosie Perez, like being so funny and incredible. And I want to thank her for living up to the burden of telling the story because it is a total burden Mm. to do it. And she did it. And I'm so much more in awe of her because holy shit, not only did she survive it, but she's fucking famous. That's yes. cool. I, all her Instagram captions should be, I'm a miracle. <laughs> I'm a miracle. <laughs> um, and thank her. I got I to gotta thank, thank her for her great hair. As a, as a lover of Her hair is hair, great. Great hair. Great hair. Okay, her hair Aaron. is amazing. Okay. Um, I want to thank Rosie Perez for uh, White Men Can't Jump, obviously. Uh, I also want to thank her for this book and telling all these stories because— uh, I think it showed me that the most important part of parenting is having a, a warmth and love and that the rest of it kind of is a wash. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> I think that that's a really important lesson I told, for this. Is that I'm like not her? a parent, but I totally agree. <laughs> and I think that telling this story is was hard. And I I also love her so much more now, which I didn't know was possible. It's like you not only survived racism and sexism and made it, you also survived like the most insane abuse. And thank you for being here and telling us all. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Did it pass the Bookdel test? The Bookdel test has three questions. The Bookdel test is was she vulnerable? Did she give us her truth? Yes. Yeah, yes. right? Okay. Second book deal test question. Was it entertaining? Hell yes. yes. <laughs> so fucking entertaining. 
Third so question. many hollows. God so bless America hollows. two times. Yeah. Oh, she really writes it in her voice too. It's very fun. And um, and three, did reading this book elevate your life in some way? Yes. Yes, me too. This book fully passes the book till test. And Aaron, we've been on a run of some books not fully passing. So it is very <laughs> cool to get a three out of three book till test pass. <laughs> I feel excited. I feel honored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is I mean, such a good book. Thank you for picking it. And Aaron, where can people find your hot, hot comedy? Oh, well, I have a uh, show called The Frogtown Show in Los Angeles. It's it outside. Come. That's fun. And then just follow me on Twitter and Instagram and, you know, like pictures of my son in a non-creepy way. <laughs> <laughs> what are your handles? Aaron Dewey Lennox, across the board. Lennox, across <laughs> the board. Aaron, you are such a light. And I am so glad I got to know more about you because we've always had a very deep connection without sharing details with each other. And it was so nice to yes. get some of these details and be like, this is why I've been in love with you since the moment I saw the all that bling first- around your neck. <laughs> the second I saw you on a dirty couch, girl, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, please put that on a mantle. <laughs> Thank you. This was so fun, and I loved reading this, and I love talking to you. Oh, man. I love Aaron so much. And, you know, really traumatic stories are hard to get through, especially, you know, when you've had stuff in your own life. So I love that we were able to have fun and laugh throughout all of that because that really is the spirit of the book and the spirit of Rosie. Um, So anyways, love her so much. And you guys, please leave us a nice review if you can. Uh, Write a little thing or put down the stars, whatever you can, or pass the podcast on to someone you know. It not only, um, you know, not only for my my self-esteem to keep me energized to keep going, but also to tell our podcast network to keep us going. So please write something if you can. Also, I will be posting a bunch of stuff from this episode on my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. I will post Rosie dancing videos and a bunch of cool Rosie photos. And I'll also put up that JLo audition again. And on my Instagram, in my stories, is where I read the books and recap them and talk with the cookies before we record. Like, currently, we're we're in a crazy deep dive about Priyanka Chopra's book. I, I, I wasn't, I was not expecting the twists and twists and turns of that book. That's where we're at now. So at Chelsea to watch us if you want to join along in the reading. And thank you to everyone who makes this podcast happen. Our, our executive producer, Daisy Rosario, associate producer, Corinne Wallace, producer, Brandon Nix, and our episode engineer, uh-oh, I just got an email, our episode engineer, Marcus Palm. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week.